Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. This week, we are dropping all the serious. You know, this is a pretty, most of the time, this is a pretty serious podcast. I take up some pretty weighty topics. I have covered, uh, you know, sexual assault and destructive cults and child abuse and some really, you know, horrible, horrible stuff. And this week, we're not going to cover anything horrible. This week, we are going into the fun zone. I love Star Wars, and I love Star Trek a little bit more, but this episode is going to be about Star Wars. And uh, this has actually been, you know, there's been a couple of things I've wanted to take on with Star Wars over the years. I thought actually a while back about doing a whole episode on the morality or the ethics of Star Wars as shown in the movies, you know, and, and what is the philosophy of the dark side and the light side and all that. And I thought, ah, that's just so super, super, super deeply geeky that it probably goes, probably blows the demographics of my, of my channel and nobody would, nobody would want to watch anything that obscure and stupid. So, so I didn't do anything about that. But a friend of mine and I got to talking about Star Wars because I, I think this came up on Twitter or something. Some, something came up on Star Wars. And I reached out, and he's also a podcaster. His name is Chris Creamy. And uh, now, did I get you? Crimey, Crimey? Crimey. Crimey, yes. Okay, good. I did get first it try. first time. Whoa. Um, he's actually been on my podcast before. He and I have been, um, he's been a sort of a Scientology watcher and, uh, and commentator. And so this time we're going to talk Star Wars because he reached out to me and he said, we need to do a podcast about our disagreements on the subject. And I went, all right, we can do that. I'm always down to talk about Star Wars. So, um, Chris, welcome to my show. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad that you you told me before the show started that you have rewatched the prequels, which I think I is did. helpful because I have a habit of talking to people, put my foot in my mouth about things that don't completely no science fiction wise, like Star Trek, Star Wars, Scientology, but yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's, let's do this. Yeah, let's go for it. So uh, yeah, kind of as research, I sat down and watched the prequels again, because I haven't seen them in many, many years. And um, and I wanted to kind of, you know, be up on, the, on all the details in case I, I had forgotten something significant, because the, the prequels for me were always the most confusing of the movies. And so you know, kind of going back and watching them, boom, 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 and watching the, poli the the political thread and as well as the, you know, what I was more interested in when I was watching them, which was the Anakin thread and the, and, and Ben Kenobi and how did he screw it all up, right, as the, as the mentor, as the teacher and, and sort of what did Lucas want to want to throw in my face. And so I had always in the past watched it from that perspective, but this time I was watching it more from the longer term how did this whole republic become a galactic empire and what were the sequence of events for Palpatine to assume power and all of that? And how did he fool the Jedi and how did he, what was the whole separatist movement and how did that work as, and play against the republic so that he could assume power, you know, kind of watching that whole thing play out in more detail. And then, uh, then tackling New Hope again, the original Star Wars movie. Right. Uh, you know, with all that backstory in place. And then you go into that movie and, you know, 
but but for me, New Hope will always hold the the highest ranking in uh, in all the Star Wars. Well, that's what started for all of us, and even some of the older folks like us who've been there since the beginning. It's really Empire for a lot of people. Um, I do feel like I'll just put this in there, but I know we, you probably have a format you want to go by. But Rogue One for me, right there, right there with Empire for me, really. Wow, interesting. And and not an unusual opinion. I've seen that certainly expressed before. I think most people in ranking the films put Empire at the top or they put New Hope on top and Empire right below it. I um I think Empire is the best made and is the and some of the best storytelling in one of us in a sure. single episode. Um and and I think that was partly because Lucas didn't write it, if I remember right. Uh, you know, I think that was when he brought, I, I believe, I, I think, I, you know, I sh- really should have checked the credits and stuff before we got on, but I think that's when Lawrence Kasdan came up, came along and, uh, and he was involved in Raiders and, and various other things and, uh, very good, very good writer. So, um, anyway, then, you know, so Empire is often looked at as, as the best cinematic, you know. Uh, movie of the lot, but I have to put New Hope first because Empire can't exist without New Hope. So, true, true. You know, like, and and New Hope it has its own package of goodness and awesomeness to it that puts it at number one for me. But it's tight, it's close. You know, because I have said in the past that I thought Empire was better. So it's it's something I've weighed, and I'm able to move. I'm able to change my mind on this one. You know, what I mean, it's not lock solid. How dare you? Who do you think you are saying Empire isn't the best or whatever, you know? Well, I think the perspective matters, too, because what made New Hope so awesome was we had never seen anything like that before. Right. So for you and I, it was new. It was something fresh and different. And we have that nostalgia. So even today, even if you look back and watch it today, you can see it's older, <laughs> but it's uh, it was the first of its kind. But I'm around a lot of people who are in the 20s. And they'll tell me that their favorite movies were the prequels. And that's because that's what they grew up with. That's what they went for the theater for. And they look back at A New Hope and it's an old movie to them. That's, I, I, that's definitely true. I know in dealing with this topic that we're dealing with a multi-generational thing too. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally aware of that. And I, I know that I come into this as the grumpy old man. You know, I'm 49. I'm, not, I'm no millennial, you know. Uh, I was seven years old when the first movie came out, right? When New Hope hit hit the screens, I remember standing in line at Grauman's Chinese Theater to go see it in the theater, you know. When the and they were called blockbusters for a reason. They literally the lines busted the block. They went all the way around. Right, right. Like for Star Wars, I think uh, three times the line went around the block. You know, these were and these were big blocks. So these were, you know, in, in immensely popular films uh, when they came out, all of them, and for every generation. So I know, you know, that I ha- I recognize my bias, <laughs> my childhood yes. bias. A lot of us older guys walked uphill in snow back and forth about 30 separate times to see the film. So yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, what was your, what was, how old were you? What was your experience? Uh, well, actually, um, my introduction to Star Wars was Empire Strikes Back. It was my first in theater movie. I didn't know what it was. Uh, I was introduced to Star Wars and New Hope on VHS. And then that's when I watched the whole trilogy together. I saw 
Came out of school so about a half hour early for Jedi. Before you even saw New Hope. I did. I did. I didn't know okay. what it was. Um, okay. And uh, I had to go back and watch Empire a couple of times as I got a little bit older so I can put the chronological order in there in my head and it made sense more. Right. Right. So, okay. So, so that was your first introduction to it. You caught up. And then what was your reaction when the prequels started rolling out? Uh, okay. So I, I, I kind of categorize how we saw the prequels, the way you pro, uh, you categorize the process of grieving. There's, um, <laughs> grieving? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but it's not quite the same, the same, uh, the same steps, the same stages. <laughs> it's, you start out excited because you're like, oh, you're just happy to have another Star Wars. And then you think deeper about it and you go, what did I just watch? And you go, why did he do this and that? You start tearing it apart and you go, well, that's a crappy movie. And you're like, I'm glad there is another one, but it could have been so much better. And there's a lot of missed opportunities. Um, part of it is if you're looking at Lucas Arts or Disney, no matter who you're looking at, it was all money grab. Uh, Lucas did in the seventies, uh, do an interview where he talked about the origin story. We started when it released in theaters, it said episode four. So there was three movies before it planned three stories before it, but honestly, you could have made such a great three and a half hour blockbuster movie, one movie to tell the entire story, how he became Darth Vader, honestly. And I think that's what causes problems with episode one. Episode one, you're adding all kinds of story that doesn't need to be there. Um, you got the whole thing with the junk dealer that's the slave owner. Uh, you got uh, with a, a six-year-old, oh you yeah. can goo eyes oh. at a seven-year-old. The whole thing felt wrong. Well, tell me <laughs> how it was that, you know, I'm watching this last night, actually, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm like, wait a second. Okay. The kid's a slave, quote unquote. His mother is a slave, right? They're in slavery. Yet Qui-Gon and company all go over to their house that she lives in all day. She doesn't like how she's, you know, she's there as soon as her son comes home, toting a Jedi Knight and, and company into the house. And she just stands there and goes, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, let's have dinner together. And she makes them dinner in this house that she lives in by herself uh -huh. with her son. And I'm like, where's the slavery here? I'm not quite tracking with where the slavery part of this comes well, in. Like, there's no physical abuse. There's no emotional abuse. They're just slaves. And well, I'm like, well, okay. But if they stopped being slaves today and went out on their own in... On Tatooine. Wado's going to chase them down. <laughs> the yeah, wings like, what, what possible fate could they, po you know, like this slavery thing looked like the best gig in town, in other words, right? I wasn't, they kept saying how awful it was. And I agree that slavery is awful. So why are you showing me something that it doesn't look awful at all as a, well, as a life that this kid is having, you know? Maybe it's like gold base, but instead of barbed wire, it's miles and miles of desert, nowhere to go. Uh, well, that's kind of the point. I mean, you're a slave of the planet, sure. but Not, not everyone's a Jedi coming to rescue you from your slave owner, but I don't know what Wado would do, to be honest with you. I don't know if he had enforcers. I don't remember that ever being discussed. Who was going to stop I, don't, I never saw anything like that. He let the kid off early to go play. I mean, he sort of was very supportive of the kid you know for mm -hmm. a slave owner i was like all right 
I mean, it, you know, yeah. the only time it really reared its head is when mom couldn't go with him. That's True. the only point where it became, and it, you know, so it seemed that that was some sort of plot device to separate them because sure. that was the easiest possible way to think of doing it. So you want it along with the, or, you know, along with the bureaucratic uh, government stuff, you wanted there to be politics and another hour added to explain slavery on Tatooine. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, look, I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to show me a slave existence, then, you know, there were other Star Wars movies where there were people shown in a, in a really bad, horrible labor camp situation. And it looked awful that, you know, Anakin's life did not look awful. It did Kind of all I'm saying here, you know, as awful as it could be, given the fact that he was on Tatooine. And of course, if you lived in Tatooine, everything's awful. So, it's you know, true. it's true. not saying he was on easy street, but, you know, just saying for the kind of life you could have in a place like that, they were doing okay. And yep, then, uh, you definitely. know, then he gets whisked off. Oh, and Ooh, okay. Now this is this prequel. The prequels are what opened the door to my biggest, uh, probably my single biggest problem. If I think about it really hard here, I think this is the one. I think this is the biggest problem I have with what the prequels did, and that was introducing midi chlorines. Uh, right? I don't know. You, you and you and I, we talked about this before we started. You and I both aren't Star Wars geeks to the point that we know all the. Uh, trash cannon from the books that upset a lot of Star Wars geeks. Um, so I don't know if midi-chlorine, I don't think they ever came up because people were way too angry about that. <laughs> and yeah, they it, does suck, feel like, it does feel like Luke Skywalker in episode eight kind of completely debunks midi-chlorine, so I don't know. I, I mean, they certainly didn't continue it in the new trilogy, but Lucas we're did forgotten. double yeah. down on it in the prequels. Because he later on in the story, they talk, they talk about how Anakin has the highest midi-chlorine count of any being he's ever encountered. And then later in the third episode in Revenge of the Sith, um, Palpatine explains to an older Anakin now that there was this Darth, this earlier Darth guy, Darth Plagueis, Plagueis or something, yeah. who could use the midi-chlorians to create life. So he doubled down on the midi-chlorians part when he said that in the third episode. Okay. So Lucas intended to keep it, but I thought it was the dumbest construct ever. I guess he did that to avoid some kind of spirituality message or something, but kind of too late, dude. The first three movies were all about that. So, you I'm know, starting to think a major now you say flunk. It. Now yeah. you say I'm starting to think Metaclons might come back again because you remember uh, Anakin supposedly doesn't have a father. Uh, maybe oh he God. is created oh, like that aspect you know? of that being the, the the virgin birth. I just about fell out of my chair when that happened. But maybe it's, maybe it was Darth Plagueis's doing. I thought about that something, or something along those lines. I thought about that, but we're never going to really know what that deal. I mean, that was Lucas's storyline. And I guess somebody could pick it up and do a prequel to the prequels. Okay. Uh, but Love yeah, to see there, it, by the that, way. Is, that connection is sort of implied there. But it's also made clear in the Revenge of the Sith that it, you know, it seemed like when Palpatine was, was talking about Darth Plagueis to Anakin, it sounded like it could be that he was 
the apprentice under Darth Plagueis. But then later, when um, Anakin actually joins him and says, okay, what's the secret? How do we keep life going? Uh, Palpatine then says, um, we're going to have to figure that out together. We're going to, we, we have to, we have to learn how to do that because I know it's possible to do it, but I don't know how to do it. Right. Which well, that I would, would be... have been pretty pissed if I was Anakin, because he's like dropping all these promises that he's going to be able to save Padme. And then, oh yeah, no, actually what we're going to have to do is, you know, I know nuclear power is possible, <laughs> but we're going to have to figure out how to build a reactor. I mean, you know, it's no big deal. We'll, we'll do it. We'll get there. Well, well, once you got to the point that you've killed all the younglings and you are responsible for the death of your spouse, who you turn to the dark side to save and all you are is robot parts, you have no one to go to. So you got to stay with the emperor. Oh no, no, no doubt. By that point, that's for sure. I was I was looking a bit earlier in the story before all that went down. Oh, all when that. He, oh, well. when, he, when he first pledged loyalty, and then and to his credit, I actually on review did like I liked the sequence of events that he created, which led to Anakin's betrayal of his own principles and and the and the the black equals white moment in his head when yeah. everything he had fought against and hated and 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 worked against he embraced but he maintained the exact same headspace that he was fighting for right and truth and justice and peace and a and, right. a, and a good galaxy and we are the good guys and from my point of view the jedi are evil you know yeah. that i think lucas got right in yeah, everybody the believes they're good this yeah. crazy you know yeah, the darkness is the good. That's true. I'll say this. The um, did, I want to ask you what they asked you. Did you think that was weird that the Emperor Palpatine influenced Anakin to chop the head off of Dooku? And then just a little bit later on, you got um, Mace Windu hanging out the window yelling, we, must to, we have to kill him. It's the only way. Yes. Was he saying the same thing Palpatine was saying? Yes, he was. And I did not appreciate that what the, the exactly what you just pointed out. I had not noticed until I just watched him last night. Do you think there's a deeper meaning in all that? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I got to thinking about this whole, you know, I've thought quite a bit about how this prophecy is supposed to work, how Vader is supposed to bring balance to the force, right? And what does that mean? What does that mean? And I looked at the prequels and I looked at how the Jedi acted and I went, okay, too good, right? Like lawful good, uh, too extreme. They, like they're so good, they think they can't do bad, right? Um, sometimes yeah. how, um, not, as, not as bad, but, but on their way to, did you see uh, Good Omens on Netflix no. or Amazon? I have not seen that. It was a Terry Pritchard movie uh, book, and they put it into a and Neil Gaiman, and they screenplayed it and made it into a, a a thing. I only bring it up because the the people in heaven are portrayed this way, like they're so arrogant, they're so they're so sure that they're right that they couldn't even consider the possibility that what they're doing could be possibly off the rails in any way. Right? They're beyond I think, criticism. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and that's kind of the direction the Jedi were moving in. They weren't shown to be that extreme, but they were definitely on their way. And then, of course, you had the Sith uh, representing the, the dark side or the ultimate of the dark side, right? 
the Sith, of course, being you know far more interesting <laughs> than the Jedi. Sure. Uh, anyway, so you uh, so you have this out of balanceness because if these are and the way I always looked at it was if these are the good guys, they're moving away from a place of balance, like like you sort of assume that the good guys are kind of the balanced ones and the bad guys are the extremists. But I got to thinking about that. I thought, I think that might be an incorrect assumption. And maybe where Lucas was taking this or maybe where it could be taken that would make the most sense is that the, like, like I'm wondering if this is going to be in this ninth movie and if it is, I will actually be very, very impressed. So I was going to ask you because, as I was say, the whole reason I came to you and said, let's do a conversation about this. First of all, I wasn't going to do it in Messenger and on Twitter. <laughs> you tweeted, yeah, right. this was a life event for me. Star Wars was everything and you ruined it. And I was like, I don't know if you're overreacting on that. I mean, we, we have expectations. We have expectations. And those expectations might not be something that can be lived up to given where the sequels were supposed to be, what, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So we can't have what we want. Well, fair enough. I mean, obviously, all of this is just opinion. Right. You know, it's my film criticism of this. And I did say at the beginning, I am biased towards the original trilogy as core, elemental, foundational. This is how the Star Wars universe works. And my problems with the prequels are story issues and um, and are, you know, Lucas borrowing from some things that I thought were, were, were kind of ridiculous, like the virgin birth thing and stuff and the midi-chlorines. I'm like, completely wholly unnecessary explanations for the story you're telling. Um, and, get, and bringing in religious overtones that are definitely not needed. It, you know, he goes away from the spirituality with the midi-chlorines, but then he dives wholeheartedly into the pool of religion with the virgin birth, right? So you're kind of like, what are you trying to do here? But, those, and those are my problems with the prequels, but my problems with the, um, with the later trilogy is that, it's, um, is that it, it seems to be that Star Wars is now gone from an adventure yarn and a, and a, and a very simple morality tale to social justice activist activism. And I really didn't like that. You know, I really didn't. Hmm. I, I don't um, know. I didn't I didn't get that at all from episode eight. I got that eight was just a mess. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Was, uh, not, yeah, not only was it okay, I mean actually maybe I should maybe I could get away with saying this. I don't know. I hadn't considered it till now, but if if the storytelling had been compelling instead of insanely stupid then maybe the social justice activism wouldn't have bothered me as much, but it was so awkwardly round peg in a square hole jammed into my face that I just felt like I was being assaulted during the movie. And, uh, you know, uh, my guys, I don't mean physically assaulted. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, I felt like I was like my reality, my understanding of Star Wars as it works, as a, as a, as a framework of how you tell a story suddenly all these other blocks were being added to that that didn't make any sense to me in a Star Wars context. All right, well, I look at it like this. So so episode one, I've always tried to explain to people who get, because I don't get as, as upset about it as anyone does. As much as I love the series, I mean, I see the problems, but I don't get upset about it. 
but I thought one was like, if you're going to do a trilogy, it was a necessary evil, all the slowness and boredom of it all and dragged out in the middle chlorines and all that and the slavery. But you have the Darth Maul thing and you have that building block. You can't yes. do it without it. You can't do it without it. Yes. That's the, and, the and, to its credit, and to its credit, the third act of episode one, Phantom Menace, Amazing. is quite good. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. lightsaber battle, the, the star battle, the temple battle, the field battle, all happening all at once. And you're keeping up with all of it. It was really that good. Was, that, was, that was well done. That was relatively well done filmmaking. So in, in my thinking process, getting prepared for this conversation, I was thinking about probably the biggest, the biggest piece of, of the movies uh, of this current trilogy that really has the biggest problems is episode eight, the one that just happened. Yeah. And I go back and forth and go, well, it's the middle movie in a trilogy. It's not supposed to make a ton of sense, but you know, they should give us something. Nah, um, I, I what don't we want it. We weren't going to get that way. Well, well, uh, that was one way I was looking at it. Now, the other way I'm looking at it is any movie I've ever seen of any trilogy of any series of films in any in any film. Usually, even if there's a swerve at the end, everything that happens in the movie happens for a reason. If you look at Avengers Endgame, it's a three hour and change movie where so much happens in it. And when I was watching it for two hours, not to get off the subject of stars, but I'm just making a comparison here. There was two hours of it. I was wondering, did that need to be there? And I thought back and said, yes, the movie isn't complete without those two hours. Everything that happens in a movie usually happens for a reason. And this movie felt like they just had to contractually do a movie. You're talking about the last one. The, the la- the, yeah, I agree. Um, it was very, very poorly put together. Um, it looked pieced together the same way that... Um, Abrams' uh, Wrath of Khan version of Star Trek looked pieced together, which Abrams later literally admitted they had done. You know, they said, okay, we have to have this scene, this scene, and this scene. And then they just came up with bullshit glue to stick those scenes together. And that's the movie that you get, right? Did you not like that movie? I I did not, for exactly the reason I just said. It looked, you know, and put together. Um, the production values were top notch. I mean, there wasn't any, pro- I didn't have any problem with the special effects. I like watching Benedict Cumberbatch, but calling him Khan Nooney and Singh is a bit much. Uh, he's about the whitest white guy there ever is. I mean, Ricardo Montalban owned that role. So you got to bring somebody on with presence like he has. And it's an and iconic as good as thing. Cumberbatch yeah. is, and he's a, he's a really, really good actor. He does not have Ricardo Montalban's charisma and presence. So it's just that, a, such a different, such yeah. a different thing. It, 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 yeah, I can't, I can't imagine them ever replacing him in it working. But it, I mean, well, I thought that yeah. about. I mean, it's just, they, and they didn't even need to go there, you know. And if they did, then they could have. They, they, like I said, they it looked exactly like it was a, a series <laughs> of scenes that had to happen with a bunch of weird glue putting them together. Getting back to Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> what were we on there? We were talking about the... Um, uh, what a mess episode eight was. Oh, God. Yeah, the episode, the, the mess of eight. So, um, okay. So, you, yeah, because you got this social stuff. You've got, you've got Luke, like, you know, tossing his saber and disconnecting from the Force and basically being completely not the Luke Skywalker that we actually knew he had graduated up to. And there's no real understanding of why he's such a disaffected, you know, droll, doesn't give a shit about anybody kind of person. And they really didn't give you the backstory to explain it. 
at all. You know, mm-hmm. him going off on Kylo at some point does not even begin to explain a psychological breakdown of the magnitude that Luke was having. So I didn't, I, I was not at all satisfied with how that story was told. I would have done it differently. Um, I do like the part, especially now that we talk about it and I've been reading some things and, and uh, the whole thing where he's saying, hey, look, we were way too full of ourselves as Jedi Masters thinking that we got all the moral high ground. Uh, that kind of thing I thought was probably important to the overall story. Um, I agree. But- that line, that that line, definitely correct. Because I actually didn't finish my thought of where I thought the balance thing was going. But oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I did interrupt we'll you. Go get ahead. To that. We'll get to that. Tell me what you're thinking. Um, we, we wanted to see as fans, and I, I think I can speak for everybody, um, we went to see Luke Skywalker fully realized as a badass Jedi. Um, we never got it. We didn't even get it returned. He wasn't quite there. Uh, come back, and now he's hiding? <laughs> you know, he's in hiding. We got to find him. He won't help his friends. Uh, it doesn't doesn't maybe it had to happen the way it's happening go find out with ray and 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 all that but um and we weren't going to get it because although they got them all back in shape and didn't use any of them that way but they all got them all back in shape for the trilogy and uh luke could probably our crime could probably do a few moves here and there and he can do some cgi but they they didn't give us what we wanted on that and i think that was disappointing to everybody we all wanted that we're not going to get it um and, and, and maybe it makes sense so it's not getting it at this stage in the game because it took so many years to get there. Well, maybe maybe so. Uh, Abrams clearly had some ideas of where he thought all of this was going to go. He laid some groundwork that was obviously groundwork. And, you know, it would then be developed over the course of the second and the third movies. Uh, Ray's abandonment on, you know, the, the, the planet she was stuck on. Uh, well, Tatooine, I guess. Um, the... Um, the fact that the lightsaber was giving flashbacks, that was weird. But I was like, okay, I guess. I'll, I'll, I'll go with it, I guess, right? Um, <laughs> but what were the flashbacks? They didn't make any goddamn sense, right? I mean, give me something. Give me something to hold on to here besides nothing but mystery. So that was, that was a little bit, uh, but at least it was groundwork. There was something being laid there. And then you had bitch-ass Kylo Ren, who was acting just as much a bitch as Luke Skywalker used to act, right? So you're like, all right, it runs in the family, and fine, and he's going to, you know, okay, this is Han Solo and Leia's kid, and he's all tormented and, and off on the dark side, and okay, that's that's cool. And then he kills Han, and you're like, fuck this motherfucker. I want him dead now, right? Because <laughs> there's oh, no yeah. coming back from killing Han Solo. Fuck you, Kylo Ren. You must die. Period, right? There is no coming back from that. Right, right. Uh, so once that happened, I went, okay, that groundwork was laid. This is the villain. And I was like, okay, I was okay with that. Which is why the mess of eight fucked it all up. Because he basically ignored all that groundwork and went, oh, I get to start from scratch. And he's throwing stuff in that made no fucking sense at all, you know? And I'm obviously profanely upset about it. So <laughs> I will say, if you take episode eight and just watch it for pure enjoyment of watching a film without thinking about the whole the whole package, you can enjoy. I enjoyed the second time I watched it on the Netflix. But again, when you think about it, nothing makes sense. Um, exactly. But we're getting somewhere with what they did with the with the second movie. By, by second, I mean of this trilogy, uh, episode eight. 
Um, I think the whole reason, I think they gave, they probably, no one's going to talk about this publicly, but I think they probably gave restraints to Rain Johnson setting up episode nine. Um, he probably could do very little with it, so he just did what he could. And the whole point of the movie was to show, I'm making a point. You can make no, it. Well, no, no, a second. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's all right. You're getting really, getting really mad over there. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I'm really firing you up. Um, trigger. Uh, the whole thing was the thing where Ray and and uh, and Kylo are starting to connect in some way, and Ray might go bad, and Kylo might go good, and then they fight together, and then they separate, and then they try to kill each other. I, I think it all means something, and I'm, we're going to get to that by the end of the conversation. But go ahead and, and, and respond. Well, I, um, I was res- I was not I was shaking my head because uh, you said I thought he was restrained by what was uh, by what you know he could do for episode nine. I know for a fact that's not the case. He he has literally said, and J.J. Abrams have said in interviews that R- Ryan Johnson was given free reign to take it wherever he wanted to go. And Why would there, you do that in a trilogy, no, a complete story? I don't get that. It's well, here's the thing: directors, this is, no. writers. Here's what's hard to believe, and yet I have read these guys talking about this, and it was very, very clear that when episode one was done, J.J. Abrams was done. And whatever notes or whatever he left behind, and I don't know that he did, I don't know what he put there as far as framework of where he thought all of this was going. Well, Ryan Johnson just ignored whatever was there and did his own thing, which was very, very clear by the mess of the, the, of the movie and all the, un, the dropped strings, the dropped plot threads, you know. Um, I mean, Phasma, you know, there was a, a, the, you know, there was a character that went literally nowhere. I, Why bother? Right. <laughs> you know, I, if I was the actress who was playing, I would be furious with how that character was treated in the in the trilogy it was set up to be this big bad guy or at least a lieutenant bad guy. And then in the second one, it's just it gets like what 30 seconds of screen time or something. And it was pathetic. So it's just drop ball after drop ball after drop ball. So you expect in the second one, like you've said, and as was brilliantly done in empire, you take every single one of these threads, you pull out all the important ones, but you've got an idea of what all of them are and you bring them all forward and you either resolve them or incorporate them into a further plot line. You don't just leave them all hanging like spaghetti, flapping in the wind, and that's exactly right. what Ryan Johnson did. And the disappointing thing to me, and the reason why I think Disney as a unit doesn't have their collective nonsense together on this one, is J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson didn't didn't even seem to talk to each other between these movies. It was just sort of like, oh, J.J. did this. Well, we're bringing Ryan in, and he's going to get complete creative control to do whatever he wants. And clearly he did, you know, and he just didn't pick up any of those balls. And then he created a whole set of new stuff that was like, what? You know, right. like, just just throwing stuff out there that just didn't really make any sense at all. You know, so that was my problem, my my you know structural problem with uh, with eight. Well, they got to give you something, and they gave us nothing. Um, if you look, at, if you're going to use Empire Strikes Back middle film as a, as a, as a guideline, we got that Luke's father was Darth Vader. Yep. Leah's got some kind of force connection with Luke that we couldn't quite figure out at the time. What's going to happen to Han Solo? We had all these great questions. 
this movie was the, like a the, standalone. The romance. Um, yeah, Han and Leia. Yep. Uh, Luke actually gets trained. Yoda is introduced. You know, there's more revealed about how the Force works. There's the you conflict more. With Luke and his own struggle with his dark side. I mean, there's the, you know, even with the, the head and the helmet, you don't realize, oh, that's his father. But you didn't even know that, and you could see what was happening. So that was all brilliant storytelling. Yeah, nothing, ha- come and think of it, nothing happened in episode eight. Right. <laughs> nothing the happened at all. Wiped out, basically. <laughs> like, basically, right. the rebellion just got turned into dust, right? And now we're supposed to pick up in the next one, like, what is it, five years later or something? So yeah, is it, it going to be five years later? Yeah, I think it's like five or six years later or something. Uh, I don't know, you know, and uh, clearly per the trailers, we're going to have, you know, Ray and Kylo facing off. And I'm, you know, and I'm kind of curious about that. Here's, here's the only way I think that, that this could go, this could wrap up in a way that, I, that at least I would approve of as a sensible bring everything going all the way from the beginning forward, bring it all together in terms of what this balance of the force issue is. Let me just bring this up. And I'm really curious what you'll think about this. Um, You know, we see the corruption of the white or the light side and the, you know, the dark side always trying to, you know, get revenge or whatever. Oh yeah. What the hell are the Sith trying to get revenge for? That's never made clear ever, ever, you know? So anyway, drop that. That's just a rhetorical question, but. Losing an endor. (laughs) So we come to the end and we've had too much light. We've had too much dark with the empire and Vader and all that. So wouldn't it be an interesting resolution if the two, basically if, if the two sides combined? Well, and that, and that actually the, the, the ideal, you know, use of or, or, or methodology, you know, the, the ideal way of embracing and utilizing the force is to recognize that all of us have a, have a light and a dark and that it's the unification of those concepts and the, and the, uh, the, you know, the use of both sides in, in, in harmony or in unity that actually is balance to the force, not this yin yang endless battle but a coming together you know i don't know i have no idea how that would be expressed in a storyline but i I think if it went there then the final lucas vision would be realized so i was doing some research uh before leading up to this podcast and uh, about if george lucas had a plan for the future uh, how he's going to do the uh, sequel trilogy. And he was going to do something with the Book of Wills, which I think you've probably heard of. Yeah, from the original novel, from the original story of Star Wars from Lucas. Right, so with the Wills, were supposedly some kind of creature that, uh, different playing preach, uh, creature that controlled uh, the Force, the good, the evil, the dark, the light. And they made, they basically drove Jedis as vehicles, basically, for their goals or whatever the case may be. So I don't know. Something like oh, that. they were some kind of, wait a minute, like angels or something like some kind of supernatural creatures that utilize the force? I think, I believe so. That's how I understand huh. it. Um, huh. There was going to be, originally what George Lucas wanted to do, my understanding is um, something he talked about in a book uh, written by James Cameron, he was interviewed. And it was something to the effect of, 
he the original the original trilogy star wars was going to start being told from the standpoint of the wills huh. and they would talk about these creatures they were observing uh the jedi in the in in the sith i believe so and anybody who's like a super star wars nerd is going to watch this and be completely annoyed with me talking about this the way i am but <laughs> you know something like that <laughs> uh, my understanding is something along, around those lines but there's there's a well, I've uh, never creed. heard about any of this except to have you know that book of wills thing in the in the original novelization i never saw any other development of that idea so this is all new new material to me so in the journal it says this and a lot of people read into it over the years people have been talking about this since the new trilogy started but it hasn't been like a mainstream thing because no one's touched it um but the creed goes first comes the day then comes the night after the darkness shines through the light the difference they say is only made right by the resolving of gray through refined jedi sight so the gray i imagine would be the balance between the good the light and the darkness and the jedi wow, able to that see kind of goes in the same of. direction i was just talking about that's why I said it. <laughs> That's exactly why I said it, because you're exactly where my theory was on what they may be going. If they can tie that together, and let me ask you, if they can tie it all together in episode nine and make it make sense for the entire body of the saga, will that save the saga for you from being completely destroyed? Yes, that would save it for me from being completely destroyed. I will, I will reign on Ryan Johnson's bullshit eight parade forever because of the reasons I've, I've laid out here, it shocked me. It really, really shocked me that the man who made Looper is the I same guy it. who made Last Jedi because Looper was an amazing film and it was so well-written and it was so tight and it was so well put together. And it was such a great experience. I keep movie hearing theater, that. You know? And this was the exact opposite of all of that. And I just, uh, so yeah, it really, really surprised me that somebody who I know is capable of amazing filmmaking could turn out such a turkey. Looper, the one uh, about the guy that comes back, Bruce Willis coming back to his younger self? Yep. Okay, yeah, I have to watch that uh, movie still. Was it uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis? I heard it was good. I haven't watched it, it yet. It's very good. For I'll a be time watching travel movie, sci-fi, it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard to pull off too. Yeah, very much so. And he did it he did it exactly right. It was actually brilliant. The way it was put together was just wow. This was great. Can you imagine yours um, is gonna be no, but can you imagine if episode nine is completed and you watch it and everything in eight makes total sense and you're glad it happened? Can you imagine that? If you can't, right? If he pulls that off. I will bow to his greater glory. Right now, Abrams is not impressing me. So if he pulls that off with this. I will be pleasantly surprised and I will uh, sing his accolades in the halls of uh, the wills. <laughs> it, it makes uh, it, it can be a bad movie, you know, they can have a bad movie in a trilogy that happens all the time. Yeah, uh, not in Star Wars, awesome. they can't. <laughs> so you didn't like Force Awakens, you thought it was too much of a rehash of uh, New Hope? I was okay with it. Um, I was... I was a little surprised at what he did with Luke and Leia, uh, but I went with it. I was disappointed in what he was doing with Kylo Ren, but I went with it. You know, um, I was intrigued by Ray and happy and interested in the fact, I mean, I'm not, you know, uh, you know, 
big out and about there feminist. I want equal rights. That's what I want. I don't want to make a big production out of it. But I was really, really happy to see a, a female lead in a Star Wars movie, in trilogy, right? That's, a, that's, why, that's why I'm not buying the preview at all. <laughs> that, yeah. It's way too obvious to put that out front, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's clearly a vision she's having or something. something. Uh, you know, we'll see where all this goes. But um, the trailer did not impress me for Nine, by the way. I, I was not happy with that trailer. So what can they I give hope you? they got what can more they to show us? me in this movie. They can't give us the, the How many times have you watched a movie preview and thought, oh, I've seen the movie? Uh, the <laughs> you know, I mean, went to the theater <laughs> that, all the that time. Happens, that happens all the time. So I'm kind of glad I, they're not giving us a lot. Yeah, I'm happy that they're not giving us the whole movie in the in the trailer. I'm just not happy with what they're teasing me with either, you know. And but I'm but I'm grumpy chicken because eight is you know I am a very disaffected Star Wars fan right now, and I am as I mean I'm wearing my Resistance shirt right now. I mean, I am all in with Star Wars. It is literally on my body. Is that a legit tattoo? Yeah, that's a legit tattoo. Oh, you are Star Wars the yep. resistance symbol. <laughs> I'm, I am all in with Star Wars. I always have been. So you're not talking to some like rando, you know, guy who just is hating on Star Wars. I have, I love Star Wars, and I love the potential it has, and I hate it when people ruin that potential. <laughs> <laughs> the Force Awakens uh, made sense, at least. It actually had a certain purposes. You got to see one of the originals like drive the, the whole thing. It was really very much Han Solo-driven. Very um, much so. But, but, but utilized in a clever and productive way to drive the story forward as well. Right. You know, right. like right. it was a decently told story. You know, he, he laid it out. There was a beginning, a middle, an end. We saw where things were going. There was lots there are of questions to answer. Yeah, there's the intrigue. Yep. You know, uh, lots of setup there. Lots of fertile ground to do stuff with. And uh, anyway, I'm not. I'm just sound like a broken record when I talk about how eight ruined all that. But I was okay with seven. You know, I wasn't like, oh my god, I can't wait. This is amazing. I wasn't that. I was okay. All right, this is cool. I, I enjoyed some of what I watched. You know, there were some major, major problems I had with Seven. One of them being the fact that everybody thought after 20 years that it was all a legend. Excuse me? I don't doubt the existence of Woodstock or that the People's Temple happened in the 70s or that, you know, the, these various historical things that happened within living memory are somehow legendary and Luke Skywalker never, I thought he never existed. You know, I thought he was a fairy tale. Too short a time frame for that, man. You got to put a couple hundred years in place for something like that. So, so that didn't fit. That was not, I didn't buy that at all. Do you think every planet knows what happens on every other planet? I think in that universe with that level of communication that goes on between those planets, 20 years is not long enough for our Jedi Knight and the entire concept of them to fall into legendary status. That's why I was making comparatives to Woodstock or something like, you know, or the Holocaust. I mean, these things don't just fade from memory after 20 years. So I just had a problem with that, you know. And uh, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, the, new, the, the, the First Order. Where the hell did that come from? Who's Snoke, right? Like, what? oh, talk about a wasted plot thread. Snoke. I'm hoping they bring that together. That, that's one of the things. So, so he's standing there on the bridge with Han Solo with his dad. 
and he has this moment he needs to have to go dark and kills his dad. And then he's still got angst in the next movie. And then right. he's got to kill Snoke because Snoke's going to push him over the edge and get him to the right spot. And that doesn't do it. So <laughs> I, know, I don't know. Right? I don't, it's got, I, it does feel like I get, I get the dread. I get the dread and the hate and the not being confident in the next film because it seems like it's going to take six hours to, to, tie all, to tie all the loose ends together and make it make, it make sense. But I'm hopeful. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And they're all they're all they've been all they feel confident in saying for sure is that this completely fully and and excellently uh, resolves the Skywalker saga. So I'm like, I thought that was when Darth Vader threw the Emperor over the rail. I thought that solved it. I thought that was it. That wasn't it. (laughs) No, man, that wasn't it. That was Anakin fulfilling the scriptures, right? The the whole prophecy, you know, saving the galaxy. Maybe yeah. it was Luke when he trained Ray. No, maybe it'll be Ray or Kylo when they team up against the Emperor this time. I don't know. I don't know, man. I just don't know where where did the First Order even come from, and how did you know? Because we ended the 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 return of the jedi with the empire was gone i mean they were that was it it had been defeated the emperor was dead uh vader was dead the entire structure was dead so according to the 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 history of star wars according to the movies there was no senate there's no imperial senate anymore so it's just a bunch of imperial regional governors who are running the 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 galaxy right so uh, so from Coruscant with a dead emperor and a dead Vader, you take that infrastructure and you just take hold of it. But so did somebody do that? Clearly somebody did. And I guess that was Snoke. So who's he and what's that story? I'm fascinated. I want to know all about it. There's not a hint in the first or second movies of that. I think there are aspects to this overall saga is going to have to be answered in a Star Wars story or a series of Star Wars stories, like Rogue One explained the Death Star, you know, which I'm glad they did. And it was a little bit late for that, but it was cool the way they did it. And it was, I, so look, I make the argument, you know, I'm about to contradict myself. <laughs> I, I, I make the argument that we can't have such high expectations for eight. And what we want for all these movies aren't going to be what we wanted, what we were looking for yet. I don't know. 99% of the people in Rogue One, and I loved that movie, and I was completely invested. So he just did a good movie. Yeah, well, you know, good movie, good storytelling, good production values, you know, go a long way. And uh, if they just tell, if they just go back to some basics, answer some questions, bring things together, and resolve it to a happy ending, that's pretty much all I can ask of them with nine. And I hope that they can Hopefully. do that. And I hope that they don't, you know, and I guess that to me means, you know, hey, guys, don't screw it up too badly. Uh, please, please fix some of what you've done and and bring this to a resolution that that fits with the whole big picture of what this story is. You know, hmm. and maybe that's too much to ask, but I hope that that's what I can get out of episode nine. And I guess we will see where heck where it goes. You know, it's so funny. I came on kind of trying to take the position of like, we're taking, we're being too hard on the Star Wars saga, guys. But I've really put it down pretty bad, I think. Is it, I got a question. Is Captain Kennedy a Scientologist? Not that I know of. I think she is. Really? That would explain everything. 
I could be wrong. I don't want to. I don't want to misidentify somebody. That, if I start harassing, don't harass people. But don't, don't do <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the story does begin with uh, the Lucas equivalent of a you know uh, once upon a time, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? And Scientologists, I've commented before, have always, always loved that that was the beginning of Star Wars because Star Wars is not a science fiction future tale. It's something that happened already way long ago and way far away from here. And right. we're watching this have all played out, you know, out in some other zone of the galaxy. And, uh, and Scientologists love that because that is how they imagine their past lives have been. And they love Star Wars for reasons like that. You know, they just eat that stuff up. Um, but I never heard of Kathleen Kennedy. As far as I remember, I've never heard of her being connected with that. I, I really could be wrong, but I, I swore I read something about that. Maybe it was just someone asking the question. I'm not sure. It, you know, it could be. Sometimes people's names get associated with Scientology in satirical ways as well. Today, okay. that, that came across <laughs> my plate with uh, Rush Limbaugh. Maybe it was, maybe I was reading an article by, um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, I'm embarrassed, I can't remember his name. Uh, you know who I'm thinking of, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> Jeffrey uh, Augustine? Jeffrey Augustine, thank you, I was just drawing a blank. Yes, Jeffrey Augustine does articles like that all the time. That's right, he's <laughs> the one that did the Rush Limbaugh article. Was he? <laughs> And then somebody comes on my channel and, and reads, writes a comment, is Rush Limbaugh a Scientologist? And I'm like, definitely not. And he goes, but I saw this article, Google it, and there's and somebody was asking the question. And I Googled it, and it's Jeff R. Augustine, you know, doing a satire. And I'm like, do you mean this one? So anyway, we'll see what the guy says. But uh, My apologies to Jeffrey Augustine. I know who you are. I just blanked on your name. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I take this stuff as seriously as the person I'm conversing with. In my day-to-day -day life, Star Wars is not really a thing. Um, but, you know, I, I do enjoy talking about it because I, I am passionate about my interests and my hobbies. And Star Wars has been a lifelong thing for me, you know. So I, I really am kind of, there's been a lot of emotional investiture <laughs> in that storyline. And, and I've got strong opinions about it. Yeah, I, I, I hope we did a good enough job representing our views on this because both of us don't really necessarily go out and talk about Star Wars on our on our podcast and publicly. So I'm, I'm, I am interested to see what the viewers think about what we talked about today. Me too. Uh, so clearly you'd have to be pretty geeky to stick, stick it out all the way through everything we've talked about here today. <laughs> but if you're still around with us, please leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the comment section below here on my channel at YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. Chris, thanks for being part of the show this week. Thanks for having me, Chris. Awesome, man. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.